Good morning, church. Good to see you. It's been four weeks since I've been here. I had to Google Maps how to get here this morning. But uh, good to be back with you um, and to be able to share God's Word with you. And we are going to be in the book of Philemon, which is, uh, if you're cruising through the New Testament, you find Hebrews. It's uh, Usually Philemon's like a one-pager in our Bibles, so it's a super short letter uh, just before Hebrews. Before we get to that, though, some really good news that I want to announce. We have been on, uh, uh, conducting a search for a new congregational care pastor, and I'm pleased to announce that we have uh, brought uh, Nathan Hooper onto the team. This is Nathan and Carol and their four kids. And uh, providentially, they already live here in the city of Barrie, and we're uh, grateful for the way God has brought them together. They had worshiped here off and on over the last little while, and uh, we're grateful that uh, God led Nathan to inquire about uh, the role that we have here. So pray for them. Uh, his first day is going to be on August the 29th, uh, so a few weeks from now, pray for him with his transition, their transition away from their church in Mississauga uh, to our team here at Harvest Berry. And uh, looking forward to introducing uh, him to you in person and uh, for you to get to know him. So we're excited about that. And uh, also, we have a little project going on. We belong to an association of churches called Acts 29. We're grateful to be part of that. It's a global uh, family of uh, church planting churches, and we have uh, 27 or so of those churches here in Canada, uh, spread from coast to coast, from St. John to Whitehorse. And so we're, uh, we want to encourage them. And, and today is July 31st, which means tomorrow is August, right? You guys know the months, right? And uh, this always works better when you just answer my questions. So uh, July 31st, tomorrow's August, then the, the month that comes after that. Yeah, no, we don't say it. You know, just, we don't want to think about September. Uh, but a new ministry year uh, starts in September. Churches get super excited about that and staff teams. But also it's a, pretty, it's, you know, it's a pretty involved time for church staff. So we want to encourage our fellow Acts 29 churches across the country. And so if you're someone who likes to write notes of encouragement, put some scripture, put a prayer in there, uh, you just need to stop by the table in the West Lobby. We have the envelopes ready to go. They're stamped, they're labeled, the cards are inside, and uh, you just need to write in there and uh, let uh, the pastors know. This one here is for Mark Jansen out at Grace uh, Warman in Saskatchewan. And so who wants to write this one? Who wants to write this one to James? Mark, sorry, Mark Jansen. You're going to write that one? Here, I'll come on up and get this. Thank you for writing that. And then uh, if we can get all of, uh, all of the other cards gone, if you go by the West Lobby, you'll see the table there. Let's get all those cards gone by the end of this service. Sound good? Okay, that does not give me confidence that all those cards are going to be gone. Does that sound good? All right, good. That's awesome. All right, let's turn our attention to the scriptures. Um, we're going to be talking about friendship uh, today. And uh, uh, because of how old I am, um, I, when I think about friendship and I think like great examples of friendship, I uh, think of the Peanuts gang. Uh, that's what, but I'm 58, so forgive me for that, but that's who I think about, the Peanuts gang. And in so many ways, like Charlie Brown and his friends epitomize what friendship ought to be. So we found this little meme online, my friends make me better. And I hope that you have friends where you go like, my friends make me better, and because I'm their friend, I help to make them a better. And uh, by the way, this quote, uh, we couldn't find it anywhere, actually said by any of the Peanuts uh, cartoons or characters. Um, uh, it's not in any material that we could find, but it certainly reflects the reality of what Charles Schultz, the author, was depicting in his comics. 
And it mirrors the very biblical idea that friendship is a means of grace in our lives. And as we look at the, this very short letter of Philemon, the letter of Paul to Philemon today, and we see Paul's appeal to his very dear friend on behalf of another friend, you can see the grace of God being poured out in what Paul writes. And as we look at it, we're going to be challenged to think about our own relationships, our own friendships, to see whether or not we have what's being described in this letter. Do we have this kind of friendship, these kinds of friendship? Is God conducting his grace through such friendships in my life? And is God's grace being conducted through me to others? And so let's turn our attention to the text, and um, I'm going to read uh, the entire letter. It's going to take two minutes and 43 seconds. Follow along in your Bible. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church that is in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner, also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a little while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand, I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark and Aristarchus and Demas and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen? 
Man, the Word of God. Well, as, as a Christian now, look at, the, look at the notes on the screen. As a Christian, my friendships will serve as a means of grace. And let's look at this first. If they receive the proper time and attention. We shouldn't think that this is going to come easily or automatically, that somehow we can just make a friend and have it, and it's going to represent all the things that we need it to represent as Christians. This is going to be hard slogging through this, to have the kind of friendships that Paul is depicting here between he and Philemon. The letter opens, it follows the pattern for letters that were typical at the time. Timothy is included in the greeting, but we need to understand how personal this letter is. He's included in the greeting, but by, chat, by verse 3, all the plural pronouns are gone, and it's all, all singular pronouns and all very personal interaction between Paul and Philemon. Timothy is there. He likely was uh, the one taking uh, Paul dictating the letter and, and Timothy taking it down to be sent to Philemon. Paul notes in verse 1, Philemon is our beloved fellow worker. He mentions others in his family. Verse 2, and the church that was meeting in his house, note that he includes the church to remind him, to remind Philemon that as Christians, our friendships are rooted in who we are as the people of God, who we are as the church, who we are as the body of Christ. This isn't just some other notion of friendship or even our own idea of what that friendship ought to be. This is rooted in who we are as Christians. And all of this shows, even in these opening verses, he knows them. He's taken the time to know them. Effort has gone into the relationship. And keep in mind, this is Paul. He has spent his life over a period of many years traveling from city to city and town to town, hundreds and hundreds of miles, meeting so many different people. And yet he invested in them. He knew them personally. Effort has gone into the relationship. Notice he also put time into prayer for him. Perhaps one of the greatest tests of the depth of a friendship is our intercession for one another. And the question would be, oh, I have a really close friend. Well, how often do you pray for that friend? And is it just a quick prayer or is it a prayer of knowledge? Like I know what's going on in their life. I'm praying specific things for my friend. And they praying, and they are praying for me. The depth of our friendship is seen often in the intercession we do for one another. Paul says, verse 4, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. And those prayers are based on actual knowledge of what's going on in his life. Verse 5, I hear of your love, of the faith you have for the Lord Jesus Christ, the love that you have for the saints. I'm hearing these things. And he says in verse 6, I pray that the sharing of, and this is a really critical word, so if you're a note taker and you're marking in your Bibles, this is a, a little phrase, this sharing of, underline that or circle that. We're going to actually come back to the word, but one translation has this as participation in. So the sharing of your faith or the participation in your faith, that this would become most effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Now you hear a phrase like that. And you have to understand that, that, that Paul is, is speaking to Philemon. He's saying like, there's a good thing that I'm going to ask you to do. And I know this is going to come out from you. So I know that's what you want. And that's what I want. And so he is setting the stage with respect to what he's going to ask of him. 
this is the good thing I'm going to ask of you. And then back to that key word, sharing of or participation in. This is the Greek word. If you know some of these Greek words in the New Testament, this is one of the more common ones that are often spoke of. It's the Greek word koinonia. New Testament written in Greek, koinonia. It's an association involving close mutual relations and involvement. Close association, or the common way to translate this in English is, is the word fellowship. Now, this word is actually the key to the letter. The letter doesn't get written unless there's this mutual participation in each other's life, unless there's this sharing of all these things in Christ. The letter's foundation is koinonia. And it's the key to us understanding what Christian friendship is all about. We share in something that transcends, listen now, it transcends every other human relationship we have it can even uh, transcend the human relationships we have with family and, and, and even spousal relationships. So we are mutually participating in the body of Christ. And so this is beyond the relationships we have here on earth. This is an eternal spiritual sharing that manifests, its, manifests itself in some very real, visible world ways. And we can see this happening and playing out in our lives. In fact, this is what Luke would describe in Acts chapter 2 when he's describing what's happening in the church in Jerusalem. He says they had all things in common. That's the koinonia. That's the sharing, the mutual participation in these things. And so having laid a what we'll call a theoretical foundation for what Christian friendship looks like. He then speaks to how this theory of Christian friendship is actually playing out in their friendship between Philemon and Paul. How this friendship has affected Paul personally. He says in verse 7, For I have, this goes beyond you loving people in your church, he says, I have derived, notice, much joy and comfort from your love, my brother. Because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. In other words, he's saying, you have been a means of grace in my life. And in the lives of other believers. Now, here's the thing. You can't write that in a letter to someone else. You can't write that unless it's absolutely true. Otherwise, that's going to get called out. This obviously reflects the reality of the friendship that existed between Paul and Philemon. Otherwise, he gets the letter, opens the envelope, sees that it's from Paul, starts to read through it, Here's all the parts that Paul just says about their relationship. And, and, and if it's not true, Philemon immediately says, yeah, we're not that close. We're not that close. And then what happens is the rest of the letter doesn't matter. Whatever Paul's going to say, whatever encouragement is there, whatever, whatever thing Paul is going to ask for, that's going to become irrelevant because Paul's assuming something's there that isn't there. But when you have something like this, and I'm hoping, and, and likely many of you in this room, you do have a friendship like this in your life, you know that it takes time and attention to have that friendship. 
Proper Christian fr- friendship involves uh, investment. You have to know the person. You have to know about their life. You have to give time to it. You have to talk. You have to know about each other. You have to understand one another. You have to pray with knowledge for one another. You have to be there for them in difficult times and in happy times. You have to laugh with them and you have to cry with friends like this. It's exactly what Paul's talking about. He says to Philemon, you brought me joy. There was times we laughed together and we rejoiced together and you brought me comfort. There were times when I was pretty sad and you encouraged me and you were sad and I encouraged you. We've brought each other joy and comfort. We've laughed and cried with each other. So all of that takes time. All of that takes effort. Now I want you to have that and God wants you to have that. I hope you want me to have that. But the question is, are you willing to give what it takes to have such friendships? You might lament the fact that you don't have such a friendship. But are you willing to pay the price for it? You want to have a friendship like that and experience God's grace flowing towards you, having a friend like that who's a means of grace to you. You should be willing to do whatever it takes to have such a thing. We're building a little phrase here with this outline, and so let me start from the beginning again. My friendships will serve as a means of grace if they receive the proper time and attention. We've established that. Knowing, secondly, knowing that such relationships can be put on the line. It seems odd, but once I have a friendship like this, I should be willing to risk it at times, to put that relationship on the line. And, I'll say this, the friendship should be strong enough to handle that. Everything Paul has written to this point in the first seven verses is a setup for what he wants to say in verse eight. He says, accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. And so there is an ask that is being put into this letter. And Paul, by the way, is an apostle, capital A apostle, which means that he was commissioned directly by Jesus Christ to carry out a certain mission. And we have no apostles, not in the capital A sense of apostles today. But Paul had this authority given to him by Christ. If Paul wanted to, he could have commanded his friend Philemon and simply laid it on him and tell him, Philemon, this is what you're doing, and I'm bringing the full weight of my apostolic office to it. But he doesn't want to do that. He doesn't want to do that. I'm bold enough, and I have the authority he could add in Christ to command you to do as required, verse 9, yet for love's sake. Because we're friends. You could write that right in there. For love's sake, because we're friends. On the basis of our friendship, I prefer to appeal to you. Paul doesn't want to demand this. He doesn't want to command it. He doesn't want to coerce it. He wants Philemon to come to a favorable response on his own. 
He wants him to understand the special depths to which a Christian should go to bring about good. That's what he talked about earlier. And to reflect Christ's love in doing so. So he says in verse 10, look at it there. Appeal to you for my child Onesimus. And the light goes on for Philemon as he's reading the letter. Ah, that's what this is about. This is about Onesimus. Paul knows Onesimus. And the thing you need to know about uh, this man is he was Philemon's slave. And whatever we might think of slavery, it's wrong. And Christians have worked very hard in history to abolish slavery. But this isn't a message on social justice issues relating to the matter of slavery. We're going to just accept that on its face as a first century reality. Onesimus was Philemon's slave. From clues inside the letter, we know that Onesimus took something from Philemon and then committed a second crime in escaping from his master and hiding out in a larger city. So now Philemon knows where he is. Onesimus was a thief and a fugitive slave. And somehow in the course of events, Onesimus ends up in Paul's company and Paul shares the gospel with him. And Onesimus believes the gospel by faith, receives the forgiveness of his sins and becomes a Christian. Somewhere in the course of those conversations, Paul also understands Onesimus is an escaped slave and that he came from a man named Philemon in the city of Colossae. And Paul goes, I know that guy, we're friends. You can see God working through this. And in fact, this is what Paul means when he says who's, he calls him his child in verse 10, but he says whose father I became in my imprisonment. That's a very Jewish Hebrew way of looking at the relationship of a mentor-mentee or someone who leads someone to faith. They would see it as a father-son type relationship. But now that this has happened, now we have the dilemma. Paul knows and is friends with both the master and the escaped fugitive slave. And both are now in Christ. The punishment under Roman law, again, let's just accept the fact that it was a legal thing back in the day, in the first century. But the punishment under Roman law was severe for someone who had done what Onesimus had done. And Philemon would have been well within his rights to prosecute him for what he had done. But so much changes when we come to Christ. Is that not true? So much changes. When we are in Christ, cultural norms that we accepted as the normal part of how a society operates, a normal part of our culture, all of a sudden look very different to us when we're in Christ. Even, I'll say this, even the laws of the land can be in conflict and often are in conflict with what we believe if we're in Christ. And that's exactly what's happening here. These things are being challenged by the gospel in both Philemon's life and Onesimus's. Now, there's, there's something really interesting happening, even with the guy's name, Onesimus. It's a common name in the first century, a Greek name that meant 
useful. You miss the wordplay that's happening in the letter in the English language if you don't understand that Onesimus' name means useful because in verse 11, you see the wordplay by the Apostle Paul. Formerly, he, Onesimus, useful, was useless to you. Formerly, useful was useless to you. Why? Because he stole from you and he escaped from you. But now he is indeed Onesimus. He's indeed useful to you and to me. Why? Because he's in Christ. And everything has changed. And so Paul says, verse 12, I'm sending him back to you. I'm sending my very heart. I led him to Christ. We have a friendship, Paul and Onesimus. We have a close friendship, but I'm sending him back to you, my own heart. He says, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment. It would have been easy to do that. Maybe not even tell you about it. Just let him stay here and serve Jesus and and enjoy the forgiveness of his sins and serve the Lord in that way in the mission. But Paul, in fact, wants to put all of that on the line. He wants to put the relationship with Philemon on the line. He wants to put the relationship with Onesimus on the line. He's willing to risk the relationship for this. By sharing this and and appealing to Philemon to accept him back, Philemon could say, I'm done with Paul. But beyond that, Paul's risking Onesimus because Philemon could have him thrown in jail or worse. Paul's risking losing both of them by making this appeal. He's surrendering his own rights and position and well-being. And he says this in verse 14, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but by your own accord. Paul wants Philemon to want to do this. Doesn't want to compel him, doesn't want to push him into it. He wants him to obey. He wants him to fulfill what is good and right because he wants to do it. Parents, you know, Every parent knows this. I mean, you'll take any obedience you can get from your kids, but it's so much better when they want to do the thing you want them to do. Isn't it true? No one wants a kid who just complies, who, 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 just, who's, who, who doesn't really want to be obedient. So that's where Paul wants Philemon to get to. Grace, grace should flow through a willing heart. That is to say, a heart surrendered to the will of the Father. And that's, and that's what you see here. Paul is seeing the bigger picture. Rather than just fixate on the friendship with Philemon or rather than just fixating on the relationship with Onesimus, Paul's actually thinking much bigger. In fact, he's thinking because you have to, you have to pause for a second when you realize this slave left his master. He went to a different city He just happened to find the Apostle Paul. He happened to believe the gospel. Is this all just coincidental? Or is there something bigger happening here? And Paul sees it. He's thinking to himself, I 
I wonder what God's doing. Verse 15, for this is perhaps, Paul says, this is perhaps why he was parted from you for a while. Paul's coming up with the reason why Onesimus stole from his master and then escaped his master. Paul's saying that something good is coming from this terrible thing that happened. For this is why he was parted from you a while. This is why he stole from you. This is why he escaped. So he could become a Christian. And beyond that, that you, this is where the verse goes, might have him back forever. No longer master-slave relationship, but brothers in Christ, is what he says in verse 16. I mean, look at what God has done, Paul is saying. God saved him out of a terrible situation. Now, here's the question I have for you, the question I have for me. Am I willing, are you willing to risk a relationship because you can see the bigger picture of, of what God is intending to do? Because you see the priority of God's kingdom over anything else on this earth. Even, this is hard for us, even our most precious relationships. Now, I want you to think about this. Our most precious relationships. If we strip God out of the equation, let's have just like a really honest chat right now. But if we strip God out of the equation and we just said, what do you value most in life? Pretty much everybody in this room, if not everybody in this room, is going to say, my wife, my husband, my mom, my dad, my brothers, my sisters, my kids, my grandkids. Like we're going to talk about people most valuable things to us in our lives, most valuable things in our lives are not the houses we own or the investment portfolio we have or the cars in our driveway or the places we can go on vacation or the knickknacks and doodads that we have all over our house. Those are not the things that are most valuable to us. It's always, always it comes down to our relationships. But here's what Jesus said about that. This is in the gospel of Matthew. He said, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. I mean, our moms and dads should be, all things being equal, the most precious people to us. And here's Jesus saying, if you love your mom and dad, this is the same Jesus, the same God who said, honor your father and mother. So this is not be cruel to your, to your parents or just cast them aside. The command is there. Honor your father and mother. But Jesus says, if you honor them too much, if you love them more than me, you're not worthy of my kingdom. Whoever loves son or daughter. In some ways, this might even be harder. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. I mean, I want to extend it one phrase longer, I'm not saying that Jesus didn't give us enough here. 
But if you really want to drive it home for some of us in the room, whoever loves their grandchildren more than me is not worthy of me. Jesus said some shocking things in the gospel. This is top three. Don't you think? That any human relationship could be. Understanding still, we're to love our children, we're to love our spouses, we're, we're to honor our parents. All of that is still in play. But if any of that supersedes our love and worship of God, we're not worthy of Jesus. Fact. Some of you love your friends and families more than you love Jesus. Because you wouldn't be willing to sacrifice the relationship if you had to. You would never put those relationships on the line in order to stand for what is good and what is godly. Paul, however, is willing to do just that. That's what he's doing in this letter. He advocates for Onesimus, knowing that he could lose his friendship with both of them. Puts it all on the line. And he says in verse 17, if you consider me your partner, remember that word koinonia? Mutual partnership, this sharing of that describes these relationships. If you consider me your partner in verse 17, that word partner is koinonos. It's the same word, the one who shares in, the one who mutually participates in. If you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. And this is where it starts to get super costly because he's willing to put his money where his mouth is because there's a matter of some thievery that went on here. Verse 18, if he's wronged you at all, and he has, we know he has, or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Verse 19, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing. First of all, he's writing with his own hand. It's possible that this was being dictated and taken down by Timothy, but Paul's like, give me the pen. He says, I'm writing this part. Philemon knows my writing. He's going to know I wrote that part. Charge this to my account. I will repay it, he says. And then he says, to say nothing... Uh, wink, wink. Okay, when you say to say nothing, this is like when you're in a conversation with someone and then you've kind of come to the end of your arguments and you know that there's another argument that you shouldn't say, but then you say, not to mention. And then what do you do? You mention. You ever done that? Not to mention. And then you mention it. And that's exactly what Paul's doing here. He's, a, he, he, he's, he's saying to say nothing but then, wink, wink, I am going to say the thing that I'm thinking I shouldn't say. Not to mention to say nothing of you owing me even your own self. Dude, I led you to Jesus. I mean, you wouldn't even be saved. You wouldn't have heard the gospel. You wouldn't have life in Christ. All the pouring into your life that I did? I mean, Paul's leveraging all of his relationship. And if Philemon's going to get mad at him for doing it, that's the end of it. I mean, Paul's going, 
you don't mind the poker illustration, he's all in on his advocacy for Onesimus. It's risky. I mean, you can only do this if you're so sure of the depth and strength of the bond between you. Even in verse 20, he does it. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you and the Lord. I would really like for you to do this because I feel like this would be awesome for me. Refresh my heart in Christ. Please, Philemon, let your life be a means of grace. You know, we need friends. You know, we think about the kinds of friends we need. We need friends who are all up in our grill when we need that. The kind of friendship that's worth something is when I can be up in your grill and you can be up in my grill and it's not going to actually affect the friendship. Plutarch said this, I don't need a friend who changes when I change and who nods when I nod. My shadow does that much better. And in the biblical language of Proverbs, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Someone who's willing to take the risk that it might hurt me to say a thing that's true, to get me to do a good thing, who's willing to leverage the relationship for this. But this, this kind of friendship, this means of grace, willing to risk it all kind of friendship is so very rare It's carefully cultivated, in fact, one friendship at a time. So this is more of a quaint little shop on Dunlop Street than it is going to Costco to get like a bulk order of friends. In fact, that's the whole point of Proverbs 18.24. Listen to this, a man of many companions may come to ruin. You got a bunch of friends. The likelihood is that this whole big, big bunch of friends, you're not really deep with any of them. All of those friendships go an inch deep. And when something really hard comes around, you're going to fall into ruin because those friends aren't actually going to be there for you. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend, singular, who sticks closer than a brother. And Bruce Walkey commenting on this very verse, he said this, the significance of friends is found in their quality, not quantity. And in fact, um, a great article that was written on this verse by uh, a fellow Acts 29 pastor in Montreal, his name is Jeffrey Wright. We put a link in the notes to the article, and it's five things that Satan doesn't want you to know about friendship. And he goes into tremendous depth, great depth, on this particular verse, Proverbs 18, 24, it's worth the read. But such friendship requires genuine commitment to the relationship and for the Christian will result in something stronger than the compelled relationships, even of blood family. See, because when you go through a, a hard time, and I'm not saying like you can have wonderful relationship with blood family. We have a very close family. We love each other, do anything for each other. We have that. Not every family has that. But listen, when you have a friend who comes and helps you in the midst of your trial, and you have a family member come and do it, the family member comes because they have to, because they're blood. The friend comes because they want to. 
That's why we want to cultivate this, the quality of these friendships. Euripides said, one loyal friend is worth 10,000 relatives. Some of you are like, I want to say amen to that. Now, you can't hear Proverbs 18.24, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You can't hear that and not hear the messianic implications of it. Bruce Walkey again says of this verse, the friend whose loyalty transcends the solidarity of blood is realized in Jesus Christ. And it was Jesus who said on the very night that he was betrayed, he said this, and this is John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. He was speaking about himself. And Jesus' cry from the cross showed the depth to which he went, the risk that he took to establish the fact that we could become his friends because on the cross he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He put the relationship with the Father on the line in order to take our sin upon himself. So we could be friends. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the foundation for the kind of friendship that we also desperately need. This is his grace to us. And by the way, I'll say this, where these friendships exist outside of the church, outside of Christianity, and they can exist there, it's because God's common grace to all of humanity is available. And so some incredible friendships can exist outside of the church, outside of faith. That's God's common grace. It's because he hardwired us as human beings to desire to be in these relationships. It's the very image of God inside each one of us. And so what we see happening here is a picture of the gospel. It is an application of what Christ has done for us on the cross. It's life, it's reconciliation, it's restoration, it's, it's peace. And all of these are gospel themes. So Paul, think about it now. Paul offering himself for Onesimus before Philemon is a picture of Christ offering himself for us before the Father. And when this depth of fellowship exists, when we see how this is playing out for Paul and Philemon, why would we not relish the opportunity to do for another what Jesus has done for us? It would seem to me to be an awesome privilege and honor to be placed in such a situation, to, to put my own reputation and my own repu, uh, relationships on the line, to be willing to sacrifice myself for someone else. There was a lot in that second point, would you agree? There's a lot there to think about, but let's finish up our statement. My friendships will serve as a means of grace if they receive the proper time and attention, knowing that such relationships can be put on the line because we are to always assume the best of each other. This is a key element of love, this idea of I, I, I'm just going to believe the best about you. I'm going to assume the best about you. That's a component of love as Paul discusses it in 1 Corinthians 13. So Philemon says this. He says, verse 21, he says, confident of your obedience, I believe you're going to do this. 
I write to you knowing that, in fact, you'll do even more than I say, that you love Jesus so much and you're going to get this, that you're going to go beyond what I'm even asking. Simply, uh, Paul believes his friend will do what's right. He's so confident of this, he assumes, in fact, verse 22, he says, I'm so confident of this that when I get released from prison, would you make sure the guest room is ready for me because I'm coming to your place? He just assumes that Philemon is going to receive this letter and do the right thing. He knew Philemon was praying for him to be released. He leverages the full weight of all of his spiritual friendships, not only the friendship between he and Philemon, but even more, he, he mentions very intentionally at the end of this letter, he mentions Epaphras. He mentions verse 24, Mark and Aristarchus and, and Demas and Luke. He had previously mentioned Timothy. And this is, we could just call this Paul's posse. They would have all known about the letter. They would have all known about Onesimus and Philemon. And Paul is bringing the full weight of accountability of all of these friends together. And Philemon, Paul is assuming that Philemon will do what he's asking because that's the kind of friendship they all have. Now, I need to say at this point, there's no minimizing of the very grave issue that we're discussing here around Onesimus's theft and his escape. What Onesimus did was a serious violation of the law. And Christian friendship is by no means an excuse. It doesn't provide us with an excuse to sin or to continue in sin. When we do so, we fail our friend, we fail ourselves, and more importantly, we fail the Lord. But in fact, Christian friendship is the context in which sin and offenses can be dealt with in a way that honors all involved, especially the Lord. Galatians 6 is this incredible passage about bearing one another's burdens. Ephesians 6 too, bear one another's burdens, Paul says, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And more often than not, you'll see that verse quoted from one believer to another who's going through a trial. They're going through a difficult season in their life maybe some sickness or a job loss or whatever it happens to be. And, and the friend says, you know, Christians are to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The only problem is Galatians 6 isn't about trials. It's about sin. It starts with if anyone is caught in sin. And so when Paul is saying bear one another's burdens, he's saying, I want you to bear one another's sins. I want you to help each other live holy lives for Christ. That's how you fulfill the law of Christ. And so among all the things that we as humans are asked to do in a lifetime, reconciliation with others, severed relationships is the hardest do you think that's true? Just to reconcile with people. Therefore, it's, it's likely the, the one to be most neglected. For us just to put it out of our memory or to say time heal all wounds or just to move on. And I would suspect that there's, a hard, there's hardly a person in the room or if you're watching online right now, there's hardly a person who's watching this who doesn't have in their past at least one or maybe two unreconciled relationships. 
Now, maybe there's some who are very young in the room and haven't had the kind of relational trauma, haven't put a relationship on the line and lost it. But if you have at least one gray hair, then you likely have at least one unreconciled relationship in the past. And I'm not saying you haven't done everything you could possibly do to reconcile that. I'm just stating the fact is you'd be hard-pressed to find a single person who doesn't have at least one of these, no matter whose fault it is. We shouldn't think that by laying out some principles for Christian friendship that we're saying that this is somehow easy to find and to experience. Again, as I said off the top, this is among the most difficult things that we're going to do. You know, what part, in fact, what part of the Christian life is easy? Are there any parts of the Christian life that are easy? If someone has something in the Christian life that you think, well, that part's easy. And you can preach next Sunday. I can't think of a single thing. What we're being asked to do here is so weighty and so hard and, and illustrates for us the high demands of following Jesus Christ. And if we're to truly benefit from this means of grace in our lives, this means of grace called friendship, then it must involve much grace from God and also from one another. And so Paul ends the letter in verse 25, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And they needed that grace, and I need that grace, and you need that grace. And the Holy Spirit is telling us today that that grace is available for these relationships. And so one more time on this statement, and you make this your own pledge, your own statement, something for you to work on in the coming weeks. My friendships will serve as a means of grace if they receive the proper time and attention, knowing that such relationships can be put on the line because we are to always assume the best of one another. I'm going to pray for us in a moment, then Jordan's going to come up and lead us through the Lord's table with the team, and, um, and we'll share in the table together. Let me pray. Uh, Father, we are so very uh, grateful again um, that your word gives us these accounts of real people who struggled with very real challenges, and thank you for the wrestling match the relational wrestling match between Paul and Philemon and Onesimus and the way that that speaks right into so many of our own friendships and relationships today. And I pray, God, that we would be pressing into you, that every person here would be seeking uh, your guidance, your will, and the strength that comes from the Spirit to pursue this kind of relationship. Let, Father, this be a church where we're known for these kinds of friendships. So, Father, do this deep work in us. This is a means of grace in our lives, and we want as much of your grace as we can possibly have. Bless and sanctify this time, Father, as we remember the Lord's death. This, too, the taking of these elements is a means of grace in our lives. And so, Father, be in this place and bless each one who receives the bread and the cup. We pray in Christ's name.